This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we'll be speaking with Alan Hirschfeld, author of Eureka Man, The Life and Legacy of Archimedes. And let's face it, you know you're not listening to Clear Channel when you're going to be talking to a guy about Archimedes. He did cut quite a figure in his day, but his day, of course, was 22 centuries ago. But he was an interesting man, to be sure, and there's much, uh, much fun to be had if you'll stick around for segment two. Let us begin today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, the date in question being the Ides of October. On October 15th in 1914, during World War I, Otto Wittigen, the German U-boat commander, sank three British cruisers in an hour. On September 22nd of that year, at a cost of 1,400 lives, and on this date, sunk another one off of Scotland. The Hawk went down with 500 more British sailors. Being this was war, these 1,900 deaths do not count as mass murder. At least not in the history books. Four years later, on this date in 1918, leading film studios in the U.S. announced that due to the great influenza pandemic and the chance of contracting the flu in theaters, they will temporarily stop releasing films. On October 15th in 1945, Pierre Laval, the puppet leader of Nazi-occupied Vichy France, was executed by firing squad for treason against France. He had attempted suicide by poison previously, but was nursed back to health in time for his execution. And speaking of the execution of fascists, one year later, on October 15th in 1946, Hermann Goering, commander of the German Luftwaffe and Adolf Hitler's designated successor, committed suicide at the end of World War II. He'd been convicted of war crimes at Nuremberg and sentenced to be hanged, but swallowed a cyanide tablet he had snuck to him by a visitor. And on a happier note, it was on October 15th in 1990 that Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev won the Nobel Peace Prize in recognition of his work in ending Cold War tensions. Rather pointedly, his U.S. counterpart Ronald Reagan did not share the award. And we'll have more to say about presidents and Nobel Peace Prizes a little bit later. Our quote of the day comes from the mayor of Detroit, which was once the nation's fourth largest city, with a 1950 population of 1.8 million, whereas only 770,000 people remain there now. When the homicide rate dropped 14% last year, mayoral candidate Stanley Christmas said, I don't mean to be sarcastic, but, but there just isn't anyone left to kill. No word on whether he won the election. Our quip of the day comes from actress Carrie Fisher, who said, Celebrity is just obscurity biding its time. Our statistic of the day, according to the AP, traffic accidents caused by driver distraction, including talking on the phone, texting, putting on makeup, and looking away from the road in general, resulted in 5,870 fatalities in the U.S. last year, as well as 515,000 injuries, according to federal officials. Our email of the day is as follows. Our email of the day is as follows. This is a selection from an advice column. Question. The other day I set off for work. I hadn't driven a mile down the road when the engine conked out. I walked back home to get my husband's help, only to find him in bed with the neighbor's daughter. 
We've been married 10 years. When I confronted him, he broke down and admitted they'd been having an affair for six months. I told him to stop or I would leave him. He was sacked from his job six months ago and says he's been feeling depressed. I love him, but since I gave him the ultimatum, he's become distant. He won't get counseling and I can't seem to get through to him. Can you help? Signed, Sheila. Dear Sheila, a car stalling after being driven a short distance can be caused by a variety of faults. Start by checking for dirt in the fuel line. If clear, check the vacuum pipes and hoses on the manifold. Also, check all grounding of wires. If none of these solves the problem, it could be the fuel pump itself is faulty, causing low delivery pressure. A good mechanic can surely resolve these issues. I hope this helps. Sincerely, Wally. This was sent out as an email titled, Why More Men Don't Write Advice Columns. I know it's an oldie, but it's still a goodie. Let's go into the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for knowing how to surf. After Chris Nell, a New Zealand surfer enjoying a trip to Samoa, survived the tsunami that washed over the Pacific Island by riding out the surge of water on his surfboard. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the Trial Lawyers Association of America last week when it was revealed that a Kentucky woman, injured after falling off a bar she was dancing on, is now suing the bar owners for $500,000. The lawyer for Brittany Barnes says that since the Coyote Ugly Saloon in Nashville encourages bar top dancing, the bar should be kept dry, just like the floor of the bar or the aisle of a grocery store. And apparently it was an ugly week last week for Mahmoud Ahmadinejad after the London Daily Telegraph found documents indicating that the Iranian president and notorious Holocaust denier has Jewish roots. Apparently, Ahmadinejad's family changed its name from Saburjian, a Jewish name meaning cloth weaver when it converted to Islam after his birth. No word on whether Ahmadinejad is denying these facts. All right, we have some follow-up on an item from a few weeks back, which I believe made our good, bad, and ugly, uh, about a Detroit man. Terrence McCoy, he apparently took a woman out uh, uh, in April to a restaurant in Ferndale and uh, told her he'd forgotten something in the car. And when she gave him his keys, he then stole her vehicle. Well, folks, don't believe that crime pays because Terrence McCoy, age 24, was sentenced last week in the Oakland County Circuit Court to two to ten years in prison for his act of thievery. We hope he gets to say hello to Bernie Madoff. Although somehow we think Bernie's in ritzier digs. And from the Only in America, perhaps, file, we have this item. A 21-year-old San Francisco man is undergoing a mental evaluation after climbing into the San Francisco Zoo's grizzly enclosure while two bears were there on display. Keith Heron, described by police as homeless with a criminal record, was arrested last week after he climbed into the grizzly enclosure shortly before 5 p.m., Heron froze, which helped the bears keep calm, said Bob Jenkins, a zoo vice president. And folks, there's some useful advice for you. If you elect to climb into a bear enclosure, it's best to freeze. Said Jenkins, the bears approached him very cautiously, 
They sniffed his feet. Apparently zoo employees then secured the bears in their night den and Heron was arrested without incident. No word on whether his aroma was protective. But they say he is being evaluated in a San Francisco hospital and does have a record of making threats and carrying concealed weapons. Let's hope he doesn't secure the same lawyer that got those knuckleheads a couple years ago that uh, got the tiger shot and their friend eaten. Because the time they're done, the zoo will probably be paying this guy money. Sounds a little bit like Fox, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. We just calls him as we sees him. All right, item from the bonehead file. I think we mentioned uh, last week that they were going to crash a couple of uh, spacecraft into the moon. That was kind of a cool thing and, and, and probably uh, will eventually yield some good science, but this was billed by NASA as a, uh, a bit of celestial fireworks. And frankly, the chance that this is going to kick up enough dust to make, uh, make it visible to Earth telescopes, I mean, of the amateur kind, was pretty remote. So last Thursday when I was down in the Bay Area and I saw these people on TV lined up at Moffett Field with sleeping bags waiting to get up at uh, 4 in the morning to see this, I thought, ooh, bad idea. Of course, a spokesman for NASA were quickly backpedaling, saying, uh, well, sure, there was no immediate picture spewing plumes of lunar dust that can contain water, but there was something more important. Chemical signatures in light waves. That's the real bonanza, not pictures of geyser-like eruptions of debris. Well, that may be true, but then don't you think you shouldn't publicize the possibility of geyser-like eruptions of debris? Commented physicist and television host Michio Kaku. We were brainwashed by Hollywood to expect the money shot like Deep Impact or when Bruce Willis saves us from a comet. Saves us from a comet. Science is not done that way. Kaku faulted NASA for overhyping this mission and not being honest with the public about the fact that, uh, you know, these images were a real long shot. Said Kaku, they should have put Steven Spielberg in charge. Anyway, the mission did work perfectly, and this may yield some interesting science, but it's going to take, some, take a while to analyze the data. In the meantime, there was no big splash. Although witnesses on Earth did see the flash of light when it impacted and noted that the crater that left behind was about one-fifth the size of a stadium. Thing is, one-fifth the size of a stadium from a quarter of a million miles away is not necessarily that impressive. It's kind of interesting to note that uh, 50 years ago last month, we crashed on the moon for the first time. That was when Luna 2, a Soviet probe loaded with scientific equipment, and of course a, uh, a USSR pennant, became the first spacecraft to reach the lunar surface. This was also a great bit of theater to coincide with Nikita Khrushchev's tour of the United States. Boy, and speaking of communist anniversaries, you know, it was 20 years ago that the Berlin Wall came down. Actually, it was on November 9th in 1989 that the East German government announced that restrictions on travel and emigration had ended. We will no doubt revisit that topic next month. And we do have to admit, Ronald Reagan should get a certain amount of credit for his Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I know there are some out there who perhaps bemoan the destruction of communism, or should we call it the self-destruction of communism, but you know, we're not numbered in that group. Although we need to talk about uh, President Obama winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Before we launch into that, I want to note uh, the fact that our new president is not too excited about the space program. So we were somewhat dismayed to read this article reprinted from the Orlando Sentinel. Quote, if the White House decides to return astronauts to the moon or send them to explore the solar system, NASA may have to look to Moscow, Paris, Tokyo, and possibly even Beijing for help. The reason? Money. 
Without a massive increase in its budget, the agency won't be able to send humans past the International Space Station anytime soon, according to a presidential panel that recently reviewed NASA's manned space program. Creating international partnerships is the only way America can maintain its leadership in space, said Joan Johnson Fries, chair of the Department of National Security Studies at the Naval War College and an expert on China's space program. She went on to say America should be leading an international collaborative effort rather than trying to go it on its own. The article noted that the report uh, delivered last month offered a choice of either a diminished exploration program or spend more money. Given White House concerns about deficits and other spending priorities, international partnerships may be another alternative. This is dumb. If we can stop these idiot wars that are raging on in Iraq and Afghanistan, we'll have lots of money to go into space. And before we talk about peace prizes, it's interesting to note that uh, General Stanley McChrystal, who's commanding the 100,000 U.S. and international forces in Afghanistan, kind of got spanked for commenting in London a couple weeks ago that um, Washington had under-resourced our operations in Afghanistan and basically openly lobbied for a troop surge. It was noted that uh, top Obama administration officials publicly, if obliquely, then chided General McChrystal, who then met with the president when he was in Copenhagen for what was described as an awkward conversation. A couple days after that, Defense Secretary Robert Gates indirectly scolded McChrystal, saying that participants in the internal administration debate about Afghanistan should speak candidly, but privately. Added James Jones, Obama's national security advisor, it's better for military advice to come up through the chain of command. But of course, one of the more shocking stories of uh, recent weeks and months was the awarding of the Nobel Peace Prize to our new president. I think we'll... uh, We'll go to hear what Will Durst, America's foremost political comic, has to say about that. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I'm here to applaud Barack Obama for receiving the Nobel Peace Prize, which frankly comes as a bit of a shock. I mean, especially considering the nominations closed 13 days after he assumed the presidency. He showed early promise. Of course, you got to remember that these days the potential Nobel Peace Prize recipient list is not what you call deep. What worries me is what kind of message are we sending to the kids? Bomb the moon, win a Peace Prize. People are going to want to bomb Mars now just to see what happens. You could say this is a most likely to succeed sort of thing. Or maybe the intellectual community is just trying to encourage him. Next, the MacArthur Genius Grant people come calling. Then, Neil Patrick Harris presents him with a special Tony Award for tap dancing his way into our hearts. And predictably, he's getting slammed by the GOP, which I don't get. How do you criticize a peace prize? I don't care who gave it out. It's a peace prize. It's not like he was honored by Warmongers Weekly. The same people who cheered when he lost in Copenhagen are now complaining that he won in Oslo. Maybe it's a Scandinavian makeup call. And the right constantly belittles the award. You know, Hitler was nominated. Yeah, once. Like saying Pat Paulson was almost president. They're so apoplectic, I wouldn't be surprised if Glenn Beck pulls a Kanye West and crashes the presentation ceremony yelling that Dick Cheney was more deserving. Love to see Barack walk around wearing the award all the time. You know, like Flavor Flav. What, this old thing? 
And when he donates to charity, the $1.4 million that accompanies the prize, I'm thinking Acorn. So Obama got an award. Hey, Bush got a shoe. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Well, we're going to stand with our uh, political commentator on that. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit shocked when I heard about this. I I was informed about this by former KZFR and KDVS DJ and KDVS general manager Stephen Valentino. And although we were both surprised by this, uh, I read what the Nobel jury had to say in its uh, defense of awarding the prize, and I'm pretty much won over. Article by Ian McDougall and Carl Ritter noted that in a rare public defense of a process normally shrouded in secrecy, four of the Nobel jury's five judges spoke out this week about a selection they said was both merited and unanimous. Said committee chairman Thorbjorn Jagland, To those who say a Nobel is too much too soon in Obama's young presidency, we simply disagree. He got the prize for what he has done. Jaglin then singled out Obama's efforts to heal the divide between the West and the Muslim world and to scale down a Bush-era proposal for an anti-missile shield in Europe. Added Jaglin, all these things have contributed to, I wouldn't say a safer world, but a world with less tension. Noted the writers, even the most seasoned Nobel watchers were surprised by Obama's Nobel. They hadn't expected the U.S. president, who took office barely two weeks before the February 1st nomination deadline, to be seriously considered until at least next year. Jaglin said that was never an issue for the Nobel Committee, which followed the guidelines set forth by Alfred Nobel, the Swedish industrialist and inventor of dynamite who established the prize in his 1895 will. He said, quote, Alfred Nobel wrote that the prize should go to the person who has contributed most to the development of peace in the previous year. Who has done more for that than Barack Obama? World leaders have reacted positively to Obama's Nobel in most cases, according to the committee, with much of the criticism coming from the media and Obama's political rivals. article also notes that uh, peace prize selections have often been surrounded by fierce debate, Controversial awards include the 1994 prize shared by Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat and Israeli leaders Shimon Peres and Yitzhak Rabin. Those were for peace efforts in the Mideast, which, to say the least, is still a work in progress. And, of course, there was the notorious 1973 joint prize to Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and North Vietnamese negotiator Lee Duc Tho for the Vietnam War cease-fire agreement although the war continued for two more years after the agreement. To his credit, Lee Duck Toe refused the award. Because we should note, if people want to be critical of the award, or at least the nomination process, George W. Bush was at one point nominated for the award. In spite of spearheading an attack on a nation that did nothing to harm us on September 11th. So, uh, For my money, nominating George Bush in the wake of uh, the start of a war in Iraq would be like uh, nominating Tojo after Pearl Harbor. But that opinion, like all those heard on this program, of course, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. And you can be damn sure we don't speak for Henry Kissinger. Anyway, let's, uh, let's end this segment noting that our president does have a tough job. And remind you of what Niccolo Machiavelli once said about this, which is, there's nothing more difficult to take in hand, more perilous to conduct, more uncertain in its success than to take the lead in introducing a new order of things. 
because the innovator will have for enemies all who have done well under the old conditions and only lukewarm defenders in those who may do well under the new. So let's, let's close by giving uh, President Barack Obama our attaboy of the week. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for our talk with Alan Hirschfeld about a most curious figure in world history, Archimedes. <laughs> 